grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome with CEO and founder Thomas Lee Johnson. Because it kind of looks so ridiculous, I hesitated to share. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess in the late 70s, it was common for white Jewish people to have afros as well. So <laughs> um, so with no shame. I, I, I understand you even had a pick. Is that right? I had a pick and sometimes I thought it was cool and I would stick it in the back of my hair. So it would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's how that. And I remember my mother sending me for, like, there was a, a, a salon where she would send me to get my hair cut. And what did I know? I was 11, 12 years old. Um, but she spent a lot of money for that. And I'm trying to think retroactively, why? I don't know. <laughs> why couldn't I just get a normal hair? I do have very curly hair. Now it's short. Right. Yeah. Um, but it is very curly. So that was normal. And I suppose that was natural. But yeah, so um, I don't know. I've been a hairy person from one of my bar mitzvah presents was an electric razor. I've been shaving since I'm 12 so <laughs> for 45 years so uh so i was I, I was and remain hairy and now the hair is darker uh, lighter and and a little bit less of it in places where it used to be and a little bit more of it in places where it didn't used to be and <laughs> and and i am a proud recovering afro something wearer. <laughs> Hey, it's good to see you. Welcome to Grit for the Day podcast. I am CEO and founder of AgileImmersive.com, Thomas Lee Johnson. AgileImmersive.com is a transformation strategy firm where we help organizations transform into higher performing versions of themselves. Today's episode is with Mr. Jonathan Feldstein, an old friend, a dear friend, who describes his life as being dedicated to building bridges between Jews and Christians. Jonathan Feldstein is the president of the Genesis 123 Foundation, an Orthodox Jew, a Zionist, a loving husband, father, and grandfather. He is also among the very few people whose parents have ancestral ethnic heritage as Palestinians who lived in Palestia before the time of England and during the time that England actually designated Palestine as Palestine and also were of Jewish heritage. So he's an, a Palestinian Jew uh, by ethnicity and by birthright. Uh, very few people can claim that. Today's episode is a deep conversation about the nature of Jonathan's faith and how it shapes how he uses his time and, frankly, his grit to overcome what seems like insurmountable obstacles in building bridges between Jews and Christians. So about two years later, I came to Israel for the first time um, as a family trip, two weeks, us and our next door neighbors. So there were two families of five, 10 people on a private bus. Um, except for my father, it was the first trip to Israel for all of us. And my father, why is that significant? Because my father was born here. And wow. especially when I go out and I speak in churches, 
and I talk about my early identity. Of course, I was born into a Jewish family and I celebrated my bar mitzvah, but I was also born as as an Israeli. My father was an, was actually an Israeli. Before he was Israeli, he wow. was what I call an original Palestinian because he was born here in 1937 when the wow. British were in control and the British called it Palestine and the British called the Jewish residents Palestinians, not the Arab residents, but the Jewish residents. So for the first 11 years of my father's life, he was considered a Palestinian. Mm. And then in May of 1948, on, on the turn of a dime, he became an Israeli. Mm. Why do I mention that? My father gave me a name that he couldn't even pronounce. So whether he was telling me to go rake the leaves in our yard that was covered with uh, fallen brown leaves from all of the oak trees or do my homework or shovel the snow or whatever. He always called me Jonathan. And so I always had this Israeli identity along with my Jewish identity. Mm. And I'll tell you that first trip when I came here as a teenager, I I still don't understand it. And But the, the, these are the neat things that God does. How he put on my heart then as a teenager that Israel was not just a better place to raise a family, but that's where I wanted to raise my children. Yes. So from that point, it was always my goal, always my dream to live here. You've met my wife, Lori, from around yes. the same age. She had the same different experience, but the same kind of vision. And so we, it was a natural fit when we met. Um, it just took longer than we both planned. But sometimes the, the Yiddish phrase is, um, uh, man plans and God laughs. So we're we're on his time frame, not on ours. And we've been here for 18 years, 18 and a half years now. And um, we imported our five of our kids who were born in New Jersey. And we had a sixth child born here in, in Israel. And I'll tell you, it has been the fulfillment of that vision that I had as a teenager. It is Amazing. a much better place to raise kids. And Amazing. it is a blessing to be here. And to be the inheritor of that gift, you know, we're coming on Christmas and a lot of people are going to receive gifts and exchange them or return them. Well, God gave Abraham a gift and said, this is your land. I'm going to give yes. you this land and it's going to be for your, for your descendants and we're his descendants. And it's too precious a gift not to um, want to receive and be part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that's an amazing uh, stream of both inheritance it sounds like identity yeah like family ties yeah. uh and uh an actual citizenship i mean that's yeah. just those are things about you i didn't know so you just uh, <laughs> but you but having been here you know the feeling even if you're not jewish right a lot of a lot of christians especially come here and feel like they're home just Absolutely. being here so Absolutely. all the more so for me as a as a Jew and the son of an Israeli and then visiting his home and meeting his childhood best friend and and um I can I, I guess I can say this, you know, when I met his his childhood best friend's children, we spoke and broke in Hebrew and English back and forth and taught each other curse words in different languages <laughs> as teenage boys would do. Some people Endure, endure adversity to accomplish a vision. Some people endured adversity to make life better for others. And you fall in that latter camp, Jonathan. You endured adversity and you overcome adversity 
to make life better for others. What brought you, what brought the plight of Jews in the Soviet Union to your attention? And why did you choose to do something about it? So when my youngest brother, who's four years younger than I, was preparing to celebrate his bar mitzvah, my mother, I'll never forget it. It's one of these time etched into my memory forever. We were sitting at the kitchen table in Princeton. Uh, my mother read a magazine article about Jews in the Soviet Union. So he was 13. I was I was about 17 at the time. That's actually interesting. That's the age my father was when he left Israel and went to America. Different. It's a tangent. And I had never really known that was what year would it have been? Early 80s, I suppose. I had never really known that there was a problem for Jews in the Soviet Union. Um, there's a long history of persecution of Jews in Russia and, and then Soviet Russia. And, yeah. and I knew that. And that's why many of my relatives left Poland and left Russia and, and came to Israel or came to uh, America. Right. But when I my mother read this article, it it opened my eyes to something that I had never understood. We knew the Holocaust happened, but it was hard to imagine that Jews were being persecuted then still in the mm. Soviet Union in the 1970s and 1980s. And of course, it was going on for decades. And I felt cheated. But where there was, a, there was a thing that was very common in the day where young girls, boys and girls would twin their bar and bat mitzvah with a Jewish boy or girl in the Soviet Union. And so that there would be a virtual celebration you know, before we could do it like this, where you could see each other online yeah. and, and but there would be a virtual celebration and we would always have that 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 awareness that we're a big a big people all around the world mm. throughout the diaspora. Yes. And I felt, goodness, how come I wasn't given this opportunity? And so what I did was I adopted a family on my own, a Jewish family um, in Moscow. On your own. Did, on my own, I decided if I wasn't given an opportunity four years earlier for my bar mitzvah that I could still and had, the, I think, the obligation to do something. And I started writing letters um, to the family and and discovered that they had a daughter two years um, my junior. So And they had reasonably good English at the time. And we started, we basically became pen pals, but my agenda all along was to get them out. I wasn't writing letters for the sake of writing letters. My objective was to get them out. And I didn't really know how I was going to do it, but that was the goal. That was the commitment. Um, years later, when I have had my five of my 15 minutes of fame as uh, as person of the week on ABC News. Did you know about that? You the should, yeah, you sent me the video. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so during that period... I, it, it was, that was the culmination of, of getting the family out. But I had, I had, I had plotted a lot of stuff. And I sh just shared with you recently an article because I, I had adopted this family. Uh, that was yeah, probably like 82. And by 1985, I made my first trip to the Soviet Union to visit them. Now, I was 20 years old on my own in the Soviet Union. And I honestly, I wish my parents were alive now to have the conversation. I don't know what they were doing, letting me go to the Soviet Union by myself as a twin, right? We, I, I, we had jokes. How, how did that conversation go? Hold on. How did that conversation go? I Mom and dad, I want to go to America's arch enemy right? behind the Iron Curtain 
Go ahead. No internet, no cell phone, no WhatsApp, no way of, I'm just going to go for, for, for 10, 12 days. And I'm going to, and I'm going to do things that the Soviets will consider illegal and for which I could get arrested and sent to prison. I, I, on the, on the plane to Moscow, I drew postcards on, on index cards and I drew, you could picture it, bricks of a wall and bars in a window. And I, I, I would caption the picture, the view from my room, because I was sure that I was going to be arrested. I was sure that I was going to get in trouble. <laughs> we could go on and on about the things that I would, that I did, that I brought with me, whatever a 1980s computer looked like. I brought one with me and gave it to a man in Leningrad who was a computer teacher. My nice. Lord, if, yeah, if, if they had caught me, boy, I'd still be in Siberia, really. <laughs> um, but what's interesting about that is that on the first full day I was in Moscow that summer, I was able to contact my family. They knew I was coming. We always, by the way, we always had to write and, and occasionally phone calls very surreptitiously because you couldn't speak about things overtly because everything was being monitored by the KGB. Of course. So we went. I went to their apartment. I met the father, Victor, and my pen pal, his oldest daughter, uh, Katya, who went by Kate. And half an hour into their, half an hour into our very first visit, I proposed marriage. And I, oh, you didn't read that part? <laughs> okay. I was going to marry her as a fictitious marriage, which is illegal in America and, and, and a severe penalty that I researched. It's uh, to get her U.S. citizenship. This was my agenda. I, I was going to get her out and then use her as the anchor to get the rest of her family out. Wow. Long story short, it's kind of funny some, the way some of the things happen. I don't know what I was thinking then either, to be honest. It was crazy. But long story short, because of my activism in the 80s, they got out in July of 87 as four of fewer than 900 Jews who were allowed to leave the Soviet Union that year. Fortunately, before my second trip to the Soviet Union, where I was going to begin the process of a Soviet civil marriage in order to do this. And I, at that point, I knew I was coming against Soviet law and American law. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so I have my fun. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, to have a heart big enough to want to sacrifice and potentially uh, endanger your mm -hmm. freedom, you have to have some sense of purpose much larger than yourself. Hmm. What drives that sense of purpose? What drives that larger sense of something bigger than yourself? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it has to be our history. It has to be the fourth, how many years are we? Uh, 4,000 years of of Jewish history going from Abraham and knowing that I'm a part of it and not just knowing, but being privileged. I, I didn't grow up in a religious home. So my becoming Orthodox, the observance, the way I do and the, and the beliefs that I've adopted, Christians would refer to it as being born again. 
um, though I was born into a Jewish home. Um, but if, if you're all in, if you embrace it, you embrace it all. And, and, um, and that goes to me wanting to be a part of it, living here in Israel and me not taking for granted all that I was given and the opportunities um, as a Jew, uh, the opportunities to grow up in a home where you don't eat, where you, or you can take your faith for granted and you can take Jewish culture and history for granted. And, and realizing that I wanted to make sure that my kids were, a, were an inheritor of that, um, of that gift. It also is what drives me, as you know, in my building bridges between Jews and Christians. It's not just something that's, that I like to do, but, but we're connected through God. Um, and, and even if we disagree on certain major theological things, I can live with that very comfortably, but we have so much more in common and, and the foundation. So really, and, and it's part of that. And I was explaining to somebody the other day how me interfacing and building bridges with Christians through the Genesis 1, 2, 3 foundation makes me a better Jew. Because I'm on, I'm, I'm on, um, the spotlight is on me to really represent what that is and, and do so with integrity and do so with sincerity. So I, I think that's a, I think that's the, the, the safest answer. Cause I honestly, I don't know what else would drive me to do what I have done or what I am doing if it weren't for that understanding of my my being maybe the little tail end of a comma in the whole in all of the pages of Jewish history over thousands of years. Virtuous enterprise is my invention. It came to evolve as I worked one-on-one -on -one with presidents and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. One such company, the leader of a financial services company headquartered in Wisconsin came to me and said he had serious constraints uh, and, and let's say uh, broken relationships on his leadership team. Through a uh, course of assessment uh, using Frictionless Enterprise, we identified the awareness, purpose, orientation, goal, and cadence of his leadership team. And through that assessment, we were able to diagnose, find the challenges, and actually give them a fix-it plan, which is being implemented at this very moment to great success. Frictionless Enterprise works. It's a transformation strategy that sticks and helps you become steadfast in transforming to ever greater and higher performing enterprise. Go to agileimmersive.com to learn more. But but overcoming in building bridges, it has to be a two-way street. It has to be, it has to be me representing myself to you and other Christians, but also coming back here and being a faithful representative of why of why you're real and why it's significant and why we need to have relationships. And a lot of Jews at best don't understand and at worst don't trust, don't care, don't want to believe. Assume that there's a negative agenda. I, I got big flack for writing a, a a huge critique of a film that came out two years ago, um, which was a slanderous Israeli documentary about the about the um, 
uh, reason, the reason why Christians support Israel. It was, it was horrible. And mm. I went all in to do that. That's one challenge. And I, and I've lost friends as a result. And we're talking about my kids. Um, I got one married and five yet to be married. And I'm sure that one of them, one of my kids one day is going to bring home a, uh, a, a prospective spouse who won't be so comfortable with what I do because they don't have a global view on on Christians and Christianity, and that and that um, yeah, it's it, 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 I I know I'm setting myself up for uncomfortable moments, and I've lost quote unquote friends. The other challenge is in my professional career, working with nonprofits, which I, I coined this phrase several years ago which are very happy to objectify Christians as a faith-based ATM simply to get money out, right? <laughs> faith-based ATM. Faith-based ATM. And simply to get money out. And, and how does an ATM work? You punch in a four-digit di number. You slip your card in, you punch in a pin, pin number, and you take out your cash. And that's certainly not a relationship, not a relationship I would ever want to be involved in if you, even if you, had that. And so I, I work for a couple of organizations, one of them when you and I met years ago, all they wanted, all they wanted was for me to raise money. And that's how I my success was measured. And if I didn't raise enough money, I wasn't succeeding. And there was no there was no integrity involved. There was no understanding of the need to build relationships. So this is a big challenge. And it and it's not just Jews and Israelis that do this to Christians. There are Christian ministries that do it, that represent that represent things that are not fully honest or with integrity as if this is, you know, you have to give us money because we're doing X, Y, and Z, and this is how you're going to bless Israel and be blessed. And some of that is only about getting money, which is, which is passable if it has integrity. But a lot of it, I can see, isn't honest. So they're really mm -hmm. abusing, objectifying Christians and abusing Christians. So I come up against that, and I'm a, and I'm and I'm um, criticized for that. But I raise the bar, and, and and by raising the bar, I'm not being the abuser that others are, and therefore, well, part of it's the pandemic. But we were speaking before we started the program. It's the last couple of years have been very hard. Because I'm not, I'm not running around making up things for people like you to give money to, which are really just lining my pockets, and and, and there are lots of people who do that, and I and I mm. won't name names. People can be uh, just can can be um, and do do their own investigation and and right. and learn. But I by raising the bar, um, th there's a lot less opportunity just to be that guy who's punching in four digit numbers and receiving cash in all directions. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, there's something about your choices um, that really feels gritty. You know, Grit for the Day is a podcast about influencers who overcome adversity. And I would say, Jonathan Feldstein, you are an influencer who overcomes adversity to drive up the integrity, the relational unity between Jews and Christians 
in a way that is long standing and has a longer global view in mind. That is, that's rare grit, my friend. That's rare. Today's episode with Jonathan Feldstein, we learn about rare grit. Rare grit is selfless. Even to the point of sacrifice. Sacrifice of friendships, sacrifice of comfort. This is all possible because there's a vision for legacy. There's a vision for a bigger coalition. And there's something really rare and really precious about building that kind of rare grit using Jonathan Feldstein's recommendation of integrity and forthrightness. And what's really impressive is with integrity and forthrightness, there also comes a, a protectiveness of precious relationships so that there's always looking out for the greater interest of friends and seeing uh, people who don't even necessarily share your faith as potential friends. Here's to you, my friend. I hope you find your grit to endure and overcome today. Grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome with CEO and founder Thomas Lee Johnson.